you need a Bible, raise your hand and I'm sure someone will be happy to put one in it because you're going to need it today. Um, Open up to Romans chapter 1. We are in our ninth week in this amazing book about gospel glory um, and uh, we're calling it Righteousness Revealed. That's over there and it's, it's in the gospel of Romans because the gospel is the story of God's righteousness revealed to us. And Romans is Paul's like great master thesis on laying out what God is doing in the world. Right? And so this is not the last thing he wrote. It was about the middle of his writings. But this is his great work where the Holy Spirit inspires him to summarize all there is about what God has done to redeem back that which was lost in the garden. And so what I want to do is remind you of that whole story through these five therefore statements that Paul uses in Romans. Remember, therefore is one of those words we always want to look for in the Bible. He uses the word a lot in Romans, but there's five of them that sort of move the story forward from the beginning of this big letter to the end of it. So if you go to Romans chapter 1 and starting in verse 24... Here's our first therefore. Remember, in Romans 1, it's nine weeks ago, so maybe you don't remember. Um, He talks about how there is a God and we have rejected him. Right? We have worshipped the creature rather than the creator. And he says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God For a lie, there it is right there, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Guys, that is the heart of every sin issue we have is in those two verses. Now turn to uh, chapter two, verse one. So now he's gonna tell us in chapter two, he told us, okay, since we've all rejected God, there is a God and we've rejected him, what is he supposed to do about that? Right? And, and any righteous judge, any good judge, even a human judge, is compelled to do something. And so he says, therefore, in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you judge, you, the judge, practice the very same thing. So he's like, he's saying to yourself, guys, we all, this is one of the big arguments against God nowadays, right? Well, why, what's with all this judgment in the world? Okay, well, well, look in the mirror, right? We are all judges, and we have no right to. A holy, perfect God who created us at least has the right to do it. We do it and don't even have the right. Now turn to the next therefore statement, and that's in chapter 5, verse 1. So now what we looked at in chapters 3 and 4 is, okay, so, so... We have rejected God. We have all fallen short of his glory. So then he starts in the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 to tell us, okay, but, but here's how God's story, how God's plan through Abraham has always been that he was going to do what we could not do. And now at the beginning of chapter 5, and this is where we're going to be today, at the beginning of chapter 5, he lays out in great detail how that happened through Jesus Christ. So he hasn't even really gotten to Christ yet until we get to this point where he says in chapter 4, or chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now you go, okay, so he, and he goes on to, in chapters 5 and 6 and explains more about how that happens. And then in chapter 7, he has this little aside where he's like, yeah, but we still struggle. We're still part of this brokenness in the world. The fact that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again to defeat sin, to, 
absolves us from the power of sin, but it doesn't remove the presence of sin. And that's what chapter 7 is about. And so then he's like, what am I supposed to do about that mess? And he goes to the next therefore statement. Therefore, um, in, in, in Romans 8.1, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's saying even though we still struggle with the presence of sin, because of what Christ has done, the power of sin is gone. And then he says, and then he keeps, he keeps telling that story through the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9, chapter 10 and 11, and then he gets to the very end of the whole thing and he says, okay, so if all that's true, how are we supposed to live? And that's in chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, or in the NASB, it just says, therefore I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't, don't, like what we prayed about during our prayer time, don't look out at what the world is doing, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you can prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what he's doing in the world. That's the story of Romans. Now, I've mentioned before that Ephesians, Paul does in, in like two chapters in Ephesians, what takes him 11 chapters in Romans. Before we get back to Romans 5, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Because I want to let Paul, who wrote Ephesians and wrote Romans, I want him to set the table for what we're going to see today. Because guys, what we're going to see today in Romans, and, and this is not an overstatement, I'm not just speaking in hyperbole. What we're going to see in Romans 5 today is the crux of the gospel. Like if we don't get what Paul's going to tell us in the first verse that we actually look at in Romans today, if we don't get what he's telling us there, we don't really get the gospel. Like it is that important. There is something here for each of us today. I don't care if you've been a follower of Christ for 40 years or if you've walked in the door and you don't even believe there's a God. There's, God has something specific for each of us today. Now, we can say that about any verse in the Bible, I know, but I'm telling you, like chapter 5, verse 1, is the crux of the gospel message. And Paul sort of elaborates on it a little bit. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 13, Paul says this. So he's, he's been talking about all, he's basically done Romans 1 through um, 3, and then he gets to verse 13 of chapter 2, and he says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's saying those of you that were far from God have been brought near. How? For he himself is our peace. That actually means our reconciler. Who has made us both one and has broken down its flesh and its dividing walls of hostility by abolishing. Now, now guys, listen to these words and then, and then hold on to them as we get to Romans because you're going to hear the same message. He says, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, reconciling. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility that is between us. Last verse. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. Guys, Paul is going to turn the corner. He's we've been in this, in this for nine weeks now. We're finally in Romans chapter 5. You can turn there if you'd like. And, what, and, and, and he's finally going to turn the corner and say, this is what grace does for you. 
This is what this is this is just the story of what God has done. This is what grace has done for you. But in order for us to really appreciate that, we have to understand this. We have to understand what he just said in Ephesians, what he what, what he also is going to tell us in, in, in Romans, we and what, what he's been telling us for nine weeks in Romans, we are at war with God. There is nobody who has ever lived who is neutral on the attitude of God. We are at war. We are enemies of God apart from Christ. You say, wait a minute. I, I'm not an enemy. Of, I'm not at war with God. I don't even believe he exists. War. That's war. That, that was me for 25 years. War. Okay, but I, I believe he exists, but I, but I don't really, I, I've even raised my hand, prayed a prayer, got wet, I'm good to go, but I don't really, I'm not really into what he has to tell me. I'm not into his word. I'm not gonna read his word every day. War. Okay, but what about this one? Yeah, but, but Doug, I, I do that. I believe in Jesus. I read his word. I pray. I do all those things. I'm doing the best I can to be a good person. War. Doesn't sound like war, does it? It is. That's what Paul tells us in, in Galatians chapter 2. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if the righteousness could come by faith, by, 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 by living the law, by doing good things then Christ died for nothing. And man, when we say that Christ died for nothing, that the cross was not necessary, we are at war with God. How could we not be? He came here. He sent his son to die. And when we say, I don't need that, that's as war as it gets, guys. And there are a lot of us who I think are redeemed people that live in warfare, that kind of warfare. I'm not talking about the spiritual warfare. I'm talking about like the warfare of trying to still hold on to things in our own strength way more than we should. So here's what today's message is about. In the midst of all that, and that war is turmoil, right? Because War is turmoil. We see that going on in our world right now with what's going on in the Ukraine. In fact, I'm going to stop right now and just pray for that. I, I didn't plan to, but I'm going to. Father, I just, Lord, I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bring your peace to those people. Lord, those people in Russia, those people in the Ukraine. Lord, I pray that you would use even the turmoil of this world that we're going to see in, in just a minute. That the turmoil of this world, that you would help them, that you would help them see through it how the only true peace can that how only your true peace can come from you if they come to know you. And I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So today we're talking about finding peace. Right? And and, and in this world where you turn on the news and there there's there is no there's no place for peace in the media anymore. Not not even in like um um media that's meant to be um entertaining. Like, just think about how dark all of the movies are now, right? It's all about, it, it, it just, it's all about war and spiritual darkness. And like, there's just, like, there's very few just feel-good movies anymore. Like, like, can I just have a nice movie that, that has a dog in it that doesn't die? And, and you know, like, the, everybody just gets along. You know what? Because our, our fallen world doesn't want to see that. Because it reminds us of something that might be. And yet we look around and go, yeah, but it's not my reality because I don't have that kind of peace in my life. In Christ, we can. 
So how in this world do we find peace? Well, we're going to look at this passage, verses 5 through, or um, just the first 11 verses of this passage. We're going to see that Christ's justification, that he made us right, is our peace. We're going to see that his glory is our hope. We're going to see that his love is our surety. And we're going to see that his salvation is our justification. So let's pick it up in verse 1 with our first point. So how in this world do we find peace? Well, we find peace by seeing that his justification, Christ's justification, is our peace. Therefore, that was we just already talked about that. Therefore, in light of all this God's story that he's been telling, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to come back and, and look at, at why that's so important in just a minute. But I want to point out a couple of things. When he says we have been justified, that word there is dikaiothene. And it sounds a lot like this dikaiosune that Jeff talked about a few weeks ago. It's, it's, it sounds like the word for righteousness. And it, and it is. This idea of justification is a legal standing before God. So he has transferred us from being like like in prison, to he has justified us and set us free, and it also is applying his righteousness to our life. It is why, if you look at Romans 4, um, look at Romans 4 verse 22, Paul says this about Abraham, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Guess what that word is in Greek? Dikaiosune. Even though it's translated righteousness there, the same root of that word is translated justified here. Here's the other part about that that matters. So one, it's God, it's God doing it by his character, applying it to our lives. But here's the other part. It's in, to prove the point, Paul writes it in the passive tense. Passive means we didn't do anything to be justified. We just are, and it's written outside of time. Meaning not we were justified in the past, it's in the aorist, it's called in the Greek. Not in the present, not in the future. It's irrelevant of time because it was done by a God who does not, who's not bound by time. You have been made right. By how? By the, by, the blood of, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and you have peace with God. And that word peace in Greek is irene. It's the word that in the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it's the word they used for shalom. So when he says you have peace with God, we could translate it as you have shalom with God. Because shalom was more than just calmness. So shalom is a condition of the soul. Right? So shalom isn't just having, like not having struggles in your life. That's not what the, that's not what the Hebrew writers meant when they said shalom. Shalom was a, was may your soul be at rest. Right, that's, he's saying, you have peace with God. You have soul rest with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. But guys, we have to understand what I said a minute ago. For any of that to matter, that verse is the crux of the gospel. But only if you believe this. Apart from Christ, you're at war. Unless we believe that, none of the rest of this really matters. So if there is a God, and he has revealed himself, and he has told us what his will for our lives is, 
And I don't mean the things we should do. I mean, his will for our life is that we would come to know Jesus, his son, whom he sent as our savior. That's his will for our life. If that's his will for our life, how do we get there? That's what Paul's gonna tell us. But unless we start with, and this is why Paul spent four chapters talking about this, or three and a half chapters talking about this, unless we start with, guys, your fundamental condition as a human being is just broken. It just is. There's nobody who's ever been born not broken but one. And that was Jesus. We are broken apart from him. And and God is saying, guys, or Paul is saying, guys, through Christ, he will make your broken thing beautiful. Because he will apply his beauty to it. Look at your first talking points question. Because if we don't get this, guys, if we don't get this part down, if we don't understand that, that how, how can we really appreciate the peace of God, the peace with God, unless we really believe we were at war with God? So here's my question. So when I ask the question, have you made peace with God? I don't, I mean, one, as, let's say, as, as people who are believers, followers of Christ, have you really come to understand that you have peace with God? That he now calls you friend. And then two, if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer in Christ, do you understand, have, have you come to that place of peace with God? Or are you still going, yeah, I don't really need to. I'm okay. I'll let you in a little secret. You're not okay. You're not okay. I'm not okay apart from Christ. Let me pray. Father, um, Lord, I, I do pray that, um, that the truth of just this one verse would sink down into our souls. But I pray that we would remember that, that in our flesh, and on our struggle, and in the presence of sin, we act like an enemy. But because in Christ, we have been reconciled, we are no longer your enemy. But I pray that we would live in that reality, that, that, that the reality of, as believers, that the reality that, that you call us friend and what it took from you for that to happen. Lord, I want to pray that that would be our motivation to live for you. And Lord, I pray for those that that don't yet know that peace that surpasses understanding, that reconciliation. Maybe because they've denied their need, maybe because they think they're too far gone. Lord, I want to pray that in the next few minutes, your Holy Spirit would do the work, that today would be the day of their salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Okay, so how do we find peace in this world? Like how, how, in the, how can we even do that? Well, one, the first thing is his justification is our peace. The second thing is his glory is our hope. Look at verse two. Look at verse two. It says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I love, so, so, so look at what he says in the first part of verse two. We have obtained access by faith. Because I, I love how, how um, I don't know where he is, Christian, wherever Christian is, Christian 
prayed. He said, the passage you put on my heart is Hebrews chapter 4. He didn't know that was in my notes. Like the number of times that happened in our prayer time this morning, where people prayed something specifically that, was, that is in my notes that I may or may not actually say this morning. I wish you could appreciate how only the Holy Spirit can do that. Do you remember what he, maybe, maybe you don't remember what he prayed during the prayer time. But when he says, so when Paul says here that you have obtained access, the writer of Hebrews says this, since we have such a great high priest who can understand our weaknesses, let us boldly, he's like, because of Jesus and what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done, let's boldly approach the throne of grace. He's not like, we don't need to, like, like, okay, please, I hope you accept me. I hope you accept me. I, I hope I was good enough today for you, to, for you to pat me on the head. There's none of that with Jesus. Jesus always says, I accept you. Why? Because that acceptance is because of what he's already done. He's just sort of pushing the you and you out of the way and just getting to the him and you. And saying, I accept you because I love me. Like, I love the, I love the me and you. Come on. He's like, and there we will find help in our time of need, which Paul goes on to next. So, well, let me real quick just point out something about, um, I, I mean, I love that phrase, in this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. And then he says, and we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. That's kind of a, what, what, what Paul is really saying there is not, we, not that we hope we get to see God's glory, because you could read it that way. What he's actually saying there is our hope is what the glory of God is. In other words, our hope is set on the fact that we know God to be glorious. And we know that glory that is to come. He's like, so our hope is in what is to come. And we need to keep that in mind because look at where he goes next. So he's saying, so we're, we, we know we're justified. We are in faith. We're, we're, we're boldly approaching the throne of grace. We're all these things. And then he says, and, and all of that is because of the hope we have in glory. And then he goes on to say, but not only that, verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. You're like, oh, thanks, Paul. We're on such a high there for just like a second. And then Paul jumps to suffering. Why is that? Well, he's going to tell us. He says, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance proven character, and character hope. Guys, part of what we have to... There is absolutely truth. If you remember my little, my little ruler thing that I probably should have brought back this week about how, like, like on the, one, the sanctification side, we are growing in our Christ-likeness on the sanctification scale. And, and there is truth that, that suffering, that's, that's part of what Paul is talking about here, that suffering gives us opportunities to grow in Christ-likeness. We do not get to heaven looking like Jesus apart from suffering because he suffered. There is no going to glory looking like Christ, which is God's end game for your life, that you go to glory looking like Jesus. You don't get there without scars because he does. He has them. That's why we need to be okay with those people that wound us. That's why we need to be, the stuff that Brian was talking about where we need to be able to let go and recognize that, that as he has reconciled us as friends, we need to be okay with those that maybe, and, and reconcile with those who have hurt us. Because, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we've come to realize that those very things have been used by God to make us look more like Jesus. And, he's, and, and Paul is trying to get us to this place here, but it's bigger than that. See, here's the thing. If all we think is that this suffering is so that 
now I will be stronger. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Sean, right? God's way bigger than that. Like, don't minimize God down to just making you a better version of yourself. Like, don't minimize the suffering God is putting you through or the trials or the struggles or the tests or the whatever it is. Don't minimize that down to some, he's just trying to make you a stronger tree against the wind. Right, it is that, but don't minimize it to just that. What is, he, what is he interested in? Your eternal glory. Guys, this world, this life, this time, this day is a blip. It's, not, it's a dot on a line that goes forever and ever and ever. That's a really long time. And what Paul's trying to tell us is, guys, yes, there is there is present day purpose in your suffering, but ultimately it's about what it's going to do for you there. And then that's the hope of our glory in verse two. That's the, the hope that he, look at verse, look at, keep going. He said in verse five, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's Paul, Paul says it in Ephesians this way. He says, remember, he says, remember the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1.13, I think it is, in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, who God gave to you as a pledge of your inheritance. What he's telling us here is, guys, in the midst of your suffering, remember hope. Remember your hope isn't just that Christ is gonna get you through it, and he will, and that Christ is gonna use it to conform you into his image, and he does, but your hope is in the there and then. That the end game for Jesus is so much bigger than your end game for yourself. It is, God always has bigger plans for you than you do. Always. We just need to embrace those more. I need to embrace those more. Guys, do you know what suffering's for? Suffering pushes us forward into future hope. That's what suffering's for. Suffering pushes us forward into future hope. If we will step into that, and embrace that and lean into Christ in the midst of that, as he's using that suffering to press his image into us, if we will push back into him in that, what do we look more like? Apparently you people didn't play with Plato when you were little, because like, right, the harder you press down, the greater the image. That's, if we, but, but if, if as he's pressing into us, we shrink back, the people that are frustrating us, the church that has aggravated us, the situation that is hurting us, our physical health that is failing us, whatever those things are, if we shrink back from those things, he only has, if, if, if his goal is to continue to pursue us into his image, his only choice is to just keep pressing harder. But if we will just press back into him, his image will come into will, will, will be more clearly conformed into us. And that's his end game. It's called sanctification. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says it this way. He says, though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. He's like, man, sometimes all I can do is get through today. How? Well, Paul tells us, because this momentary light affliction is producing in you an eternal way to glory far beyond all comparison. For we look at the things not the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen, Paul says. He's saying, we don't look at the things around here. We look at the future glory that is to come. Because the things that are here are going away. They're perishing. The things that are unseen are eternal. 
Do you see how in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and how in Ephesians chapter 1 and how in Romans chapter 5, what Paul is saying is, guys, you've got to get a bigger picture of your hope and glory. Because your hope is found in Christ's glory and his glory, or he is glorious, completely and utterly glorious. And if you will live your life in the light of that glory and the glory that he is revealing in you and through you, your world will be so much better even if your circumstances never change. Even if your kids still reject you, even if your health is still failing you, even if, even if, even if, if you'll live in the light of eternal glory, it will change your perspective. That's the point. Guys, I get that when you're in the midst of momentary light affliction, it does not feel momentary or light. Right? I understand that when you're in a, when you're in a motorcycle accident and you lose your leg and you watch your bride have that happen, I get that what they have been through does not feel momentary or light, but, but I've... But I've watched what it's done in your life. I mean, you loved the Lord before. But like their faith has been so strengthened through that. Why? Because from the time I went into the hospital, the day after it happened, when they first let me in, she's like, God's using this for his glory. I'm like, and you're on drugs. <laughs> but it's, that's the way it is. Guys, I understand. I do. We all have dark nights of the soul. We do. Where do we look when we're in those nights? Where does your gaze turn? All of the addiction issues that are going on in the world right now, from substances to pornography, are because people are trying to medicate their own cold, dark night of the soul. And here's the thing, we have the answer to where they can find peace, Amen. right? It's not in that bottle, it's not on that website, it's in Jesus Christ. And we're the ones who've been given the privilege of having that answer. Look at your second talking points question. And I'm going to ask for a little feedback on this one. It says, how does this world rob you of your hope, steal your joy, and how can you better combat this? So just quickly, how does the world steal our hope and rob us of joy? Lies. Lies. Good. They remember, remember where Paul was back to, um, um, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. So good, right there, lie. War. Good. What else? Teach, lures us into believing something else is better. And you'd be so much happier if, right? Sin always takes you to a place you shouldn't go, further than you wanted to go, and keeps you there longer than you meant to stay. Right? That's, that's how, that's sin. It entices you in this, oh, look, squirrel, over here. Right? And it entices you to this thing, and it always takes you further than you thought you would go, Keeps you there longer than you wanted to stay. Always. Because we always think, well, I'm just, you know, it's okay, and then I'll get back to Jesus. It, it, it just doesn't work that way. What else? Anger. Anger. 
And we're just, the world is just like anger is just getting more. I mean, like the world is just getting more and more angry. Like if we had to list like, like the things that would describe this world right now, how far down the list would we have to get before we got to peace? Like honestly, way down, way down. So how do we combat that? How are some ways we combat that? Prayer. Sunday night, prayer, deliverance, good. What else? I heard somebody say, the what of the gospel? The proclamation of the gospel. There is an antidote. Love. Love your neighbor. Love God, love people. Real relationships. Grace. Guys, guys this is why like, we, we need one another. Those of you that are online right now, get back here. I don't know what's keeping you away. Get back here. Like, you cannot experience this there. I get that there are real reasons. This reason we still stream is because there are real reasons people really need to be away at first season. But guys, we need this sole reminder of what is good. This is as close to heaven as you're going to get this week. With all the craziness and the chaos, and it's just a, it was a diesel mechanic shop, and all right, this is as close to heaven as you're going to get. Why? Because we're here, and God has brought us here. Okay, so how in this world do we find peace? One, we realize that his justification, what he has done for us, is our peace. Second, we see that his glory is our hope. The third is we see that his love is our surety. Look at verse 6. Surety means like our guarantee, our, the thing we can hold on to and never let go of. Look at what he says in verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for us. Probably the best known passage or one of the best two verses in chapter 5. I just want to point out one thing. When he says still weak, that word there in the Greek actually means it, it implies morally, not physically. So he's saying more, and, he, and it isn't just weak. It's actually the inability to do anything. So the word there really could say, for while we were still unable to do anything moral, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the utterly helpless. And then he says, for one would scarcely, would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would, would dare even die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I like how, I think it's the NASB translates this better because it inserts a word that is actually there in the Greek. It's, he says, but God shows his own love for us. And here's why that matters. It's because it was a way for Paul, through the Spirit, to emphasize this kind of love. This is a unique phrase. The, the word there for love is agape. It's the strongest kind of love. Most of you have heard that word before. There's three kinds of love in Greek. It was the, it's the strongest love. But you can say that word agape, love, and, and actually attach the pronoun he to it in one word. But Paul does that, his love, and then he also puts in the word he, like his. So it's his way of saying God showed his, his own love for us. Well, in the Greek, that was a way of emphasizing, like if they could underline bold and circle it, he's saying this was God's way of showing us, here's how I love as opposed to how you love, as opposed to how you're even able to love. Here is my unique kind of love. And then he says, 
It's that while you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy, while you were still shaking your fist at me and denying my existence, I didn't just love you. I died for you. Greater love has no man than this, Jesus said on his way to the cross. That what? That one lay down his life for a friend. It's his way of flashing forward to pass the cross and go, there is no way, there's no greater way I could demonstrate my love for you than this that I would go to the cross and die for you, that you might be called my friend. Right? That's huge. And some of you are sitting here going, yeah, but, but I, I'm just too far gone. Right? Like, like you have no idea, Doug, what I've done in my past. You have no idea the sins I'm struggling with today. You have no idea. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a leader in this church and I'm, and I'm struggling with sin issues. And I'm like, well, you have no idea, Doug. I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, just guys, stop. Just stop it. It does not matter. All that matters is what Jesus did. Not what you do or don't do. The doing and the don't doing just flows out of what Jesus already done. That's good English, so I'm going to say it again. The doing or the don't doing just flows out of what Jesus already done. Guys, understand what verse 8 is saying to you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for the messed up you. Christ didn't die for some future better version of you. Christ didn't, isn't waiting for you to go, because that's the other thing. That we, okay, well, once I get my act together, I'll get to church. Well, first of all, don't get to church, get to Christ. Second of all, don't get your act together, because you can't. Get to Christ and let him get your act together. That's the gospel. Everything else is just works. Because we believe in works-based righteousness. We do. I'll just let you know a little secret. It's his work. Amen. Right? He did it. Do we believe that? I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we live like we do. Now look at the verse 9, and then we're going to finish up with our last point. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood... So since we have been made right by what Christ has already done, much more, now he does say future tense, we shall be saved by him from the wrath that is to come. Now understand, yeah, thank you, now understand this, guys. This is what Paul's telling us in these, in these, first, these few verses of Romans. You have been graced. Been, present tense. You've been graced. Right now, you have, you, the, the, the power of sin and we're going to get there next week, Lord willing, in the second half of chapter 5. The power of sin no longer is present in your life. Does not mean the presence of it is still there. It just means that it no longer has power over you. In Christ, you no longer have to sin. Prior to Christ, you have to. You are ruled by your nature. And your nature is a sinner. Once you come to faith in Christ, once you come to believe that he died and rose again for you, you have been transferred and your nature has been changed. That's the other side of my ruler. Remind me to bring that back next week, please. My ruler, it's the, right, it's the righteousness of Christ. You're either at zero or 100%. He immediately makes you 100%. You are immediately completely righteous in Christ. Your nature has been changed. You no longer have to sin because he calls you saint. So we've been graced. The power to live that way, to do the sanctifying part in his glory, 
is grace. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that gets you to conform to, to looking like him in your sanctification. But guys, there's this other thing that we don't talk as much about, and it's called mercy. Did you know that only, like everybody gets grace. Did you know that? Everybody in the world gets some version of grace. It's called common grace. The sun came up this morning. That's common grace. Even the unbeliever gets that. It rains on the just and the unjust, the word says. Guess what only Christians get? Mercy. This is the mercy he's talking about in verse 9. He's saying, you will be saved from what? From the wrath of God that is to come. We've talked, he's been talking about this since chapter 1. That the wrath of God was revealed to man who lived unrighteously. Right? That wrath has to fall justly. Chapter 2, we talked about it. Why is, that, why, does that, why is that right and fair? Not just because he's God, but because we would expect no less from any judge. And he's saying that wrath is going to fall on one of two places. It's either going to fall on you or it's going to fall on my son. And if you will let him own your wrath, he'll take it. And that's called mercy. And that's what he's saving us from. Look at your last talking points question. He says, it says, in the midst of your sin and your rebellion in this world, Christ came to remove the separation we have with God. But the brokenness is still real. How can you use the next three weeks from now to resurrection weekend to remind yourself to rejoice that in Christ we have perfect and everlasting peace with God? And how might you lead others thereto? Because Resurrection Weekend is only three weeks away. Can you give Jesus three weeks? Can you turn off the news? Put aside your apps that remind you of all the brokenness in the world. And renew your mind with what is good and right and lovely and pure and commendable. If there's anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, can you spend just three weeks dwelling on those things and watch and see what he does? So we're going to finish it up. Our last point, these last two verses. So how do we find peace? His justification is our peace. His glory is our hope. His love is our surety. And his salvation is our justification. And you might stop and go, wait a minute, shouldn't that be the other way around? Shouldn't his justification be our salvation? The answer is no. He saved you and set you apart and justified you. And look what Paul says in verse 11. Well, let me pick it up in verse 10. Sorry. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. I'm sorry, for if while we were enemies, so he's going back to where he started, that we were enemies, now we're friends, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now that we've been reconciled, we've been brought together, shall we be saved by his life? 
Guys, understand what he's saying here. He's saying, he's saying it's what we celebrate on Good Friday. Like, what happened at the crucifixion after Jesus dies? Remember what happened? Jesus dies. It is finished. What, what's the next thing the Bible records happens? The what? Earth, the earth shakes. All of creation groans. And the veil is torn. What was the veil a picture of? The separation of us and God. It's like God is saying, you are now invited in. You are invited into the very presence of the Lord. You were once an enemy. You weren't even allowed in the building. Like literally, they were not allowed in the building. You're now allowed right into the very throne room of God. We are now able to boldly approach the throne of grace. Not because we got our act together, not because we cleaned ourselves up, not because we finally figured it out, not because we're smarter than those people that, have de that deny Christ, not because, not because, not because, only because of what Christ has done. Right? That's it. And yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. We've turned there a lot. I won't have you turn there, but in, in Ephesians chapter 2, at the start of that chapter, you guys have read it a few times in your daily readings. He's talking about how that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the prince of the power of the air. And then he gets to that wonderful verse, verse 4, where he says, but God. <laughs> right? And then he goes on and says, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he showed us. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 5. He died for us, for it is by grace that you have been saved. That's the gospel. But guys, that's also the message he wants us to proclaim. If you're sitting here today, he has is, he is reconciled us. Paul tells us in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he says that he has reconciled us. Same, same word he's using here in Romans. And then he says, and he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. Here's what he's saying. He has saved you and reconciled you so that you will go tell other people how to be reconciled to him. That is his only plan for saving the world. That is not how I would have done it. Right? In the age I would have won, I would have waited until the internet was invented by um, Al Gore. And then I would have come, for those of you that are still awake, and then I would have come and just broadcast that message all over the globe, the message of the gospel. But that's not his plan. His plan is light, changed life, pressing into an unredeemed life to see those lives redeemed for his glory. And in the midst of doing that, your glory increases. That's not why you're doing it. That's not why you're doing it. It's in the midst of it, though. How? Because the more you're on mission for Christ, guess who you look like? Christ. Who is the glory of God? That's the plan. That's it. Guys, if, if we leave here today, or we leave the training center on Tuesday, or we, and all of things that we hear and see and, and it just, just stops with us, shame on us. Like literally, what's the point? What is the point? Guys, if, G, if all Jesus wanted was to have you saved, he would take you home the minute you cried out his name. Because you will glorify him way more in heaven when you die. My dad is bringing the Lord way more glory now than he ever did his whole life. So why does he leave us here? There can only, there can only be one reason. It's because we are his plan for taking this news to a world that needs to see and hear it, needs to feel it and taste it. Are you willing to be on that mission? Yeah, but you're like, okay, but wait a minute, Doug. 
I'm still back to that. Like, I, I, I just don't feel the peace of God. I, I feel like an enemy all the time because I'm falling short. My marriage is not what it ought to be. My kids are struggling. My, I'm all you guys, how, and I want you to, how many of you know that you're an enemy of God apart from Christ? Raise your hand. How many of you know that you're, look around, keep them up. How, how many of you know that you're an enemy of God apart from Christ? Look around, you're in great company. Put your hands down. It's okay. Everybody feels that way. Yeah, but, but Doug, I, I don't, look at verse 11. More than, more than just reconciling us and saving us into life. More, I don't know how there can be more than that. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Through whom now, he, he ends right where he started. Through whom we now receive peace. That's what it means to be reconciled. When, you're, when you and your spouse, those of us that are married, are in conflict and there's tension in the house and it's not going well or maybe it's with a coworker or a boss or something and then reconciliation comes. You know that feeling like that? It's like just, like it's literally like this release. Right? That's what he's done for us. That's why he tells us to rejoice my, my question is, do we live lives of rejoicing? That's why I'm asking you to put aside all the negative stuff that the world wants to feed into us, put aside the negative conversations you're having, even with brothers and sisters in Christ, and just rejoice in your salvation. Yeah, but Doug, my life is hard. I don't feel very loved. How many of you can say that there are times in your life with Jesus where you don't feel loved by Christ? How many of you can say that? Where you don't feel, in the moment, you don't feel loved by Christ. Some of you are liars, that's okay. <laughs> right, I get it. But guys, look at what he says. He says, we have, he has transferred us from unlovable. We are unlovable apart from Christ. He loved us with his own love anyway. And now we are completely loved. As the music team comes up, and we're going to go into our time of communion, we're going to do it as couples. And so there'll be a chance for you to, um, to gather around with different couples that are serving. Guys, I want to, I, this is a time for us as followers of Christ to, to re remember and, and literally step into the presence of Jesus.